We're going to continue in our series on the book of James, and we're going to go through the next couple of verses where James does talk about suffering. And I don't think I've known a season, really going back to last March when this pandemic first hit, where I've seen so many individuals and families go through so many different things. I mean, there's obviously been so much sickness related to the coronavirus, and most all of us know someone who's had it or you've had it yourself. And, and even at this point, most all of us know someone or have had someone in our own families who, who have died from this. But beyond that, particularly over the last few months, it has just seemed like that more and more families are going through more and more difficult times that may or may not even be related to the coronavirus and the pandemic that's currently in our world. I mean, I've, there's so many families with dealing with cancer and, and disease and, and loss and so many families that have fallen on hardship related to a job loss. We've seen businesses close, even businesses that were generational that families just had built years and years ago. And, and in this season, they've, they've come to an end. And so many people through all this have experienced so much stress and strain that anxiety and depression are being experienced and dealt with on all new levels. Whether for a short period or a long period, whether it's been great or small, many would say that they have been in or in the middle of a season of suffering. And whenever we have seasons like this, there's so many questions that, that come. Why is there so much pain and tragedy in the world? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is my family going through this? Why are we having to deal with this? Especially if God is good and God is great and seasons of suffering can leave you feeling hurt and isolated, alone, confused, or just defeated. Just completely defeated. And one of the ways that the New Testament writers illustrate the Christian life is as a race. It's not like any analogy, it's not the perfect analogy for life, but it's a great one and it's an inspiring one. And the Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone runs, but only one wins the prize, but run to get the prize. I've always wanted to, but never been able to be the guy to win a race. I mean, I don't know if you remember these days before everything went, went digital and cameras started catching this, but, but it used to be that when you would try to win a race, the way that we knew that you were first is that you would get to the end and that you would lean forward and you would break the tape at the end of the race. And if you broke the tape, then you were the victor. And I know when you look at me, you think, man, he looks like he is fast as the wind. But I just had to tell you, it's not so. But every year I had my opportunity in elementary school, at field day. And these were not the days when everyone got a trophy, all right? We weren't running for time, we were running for glory. And I just knew that there was going to be a day that this was going to be my year where finally with the chorus teacher and the band director each on one side holding a tape in this little private school where I had like 20 kids in the whole grade, you would think this would be my moment, this would be my opportunity where finally I would be the kid to get to the end of the 40-yard dash to get there, to lean forward, to break the tape and be declared the victor and have applause and a blue ribbon from Oriental Trading Company. I mean, I just knew 
that I was going to have my day, but it never happened for me. And there was a little piece of me that knew it was never going to happen, but I still gave it everything I had. And it doesn't happen for most people. Most people never break the tape and feel that experience, that feeling of victory. So it, it's interesting to me that scripture would use this analogy of racing as an analogy for life and victory, breaking the tape, something that eludes most people. The writer of Hebrews would say this, therefore we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In these particular days in the first century, most of the big races would happen in Athens or Corinth and they were predominantly short sprints. But in the first century, even just prior to this, they had started adding some longer races. They were starting to add some distance races to some of the games. And these distances would, of course, add new challenge. Distance that meant you would not be able to see the finish line from the starting line. Distance that would give you elements of pain and suffering and doubt and endurance that you were going to have to push through. Distance that meant you were going to have to endure suffering to be able to break the tape. And it's those races that involve suffering and endurance that became a way to talk about the Christian life. And it's where my mind went when I read these two verses from James chapter five, verse 10, it says this, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those as blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job or the patience of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James says, consider the stories of the prophets, consider the stories of old. Of course, we have them now written down in the Old Testament. He says, consider those who followed God. Many of them had stories of suffering. And some of your translations say suffering evil which is another way to say outside forces, kind of creating the suffering. And it's a great way to try to bring clarity to this because in other words, some suffering comes about because we live in a world that has something going on. We live in a world that is not perfect, but it has fallen into sin. And this is the Christian worldview answer to one of the big questions. Why is there suffering and evil in the world? Well, it's because of sin from the moment it entered the garden. And you need to know something about sin. It's systemic, it's, it's continuing to spread. It continues to this day. That's, that's why it is important that whatever, that we guard our hearts, that we guard our minds and actions and not give in to the little things. It's important that we guard our minds and if we need to, that we would go to God in repentance. A repentance is a, is a change of mind that changes our attitude or direction and our, our actions. But without repentance, sin will always spread. And as a result, our world and all its systems are decaying and becoming more and more broken all the time. Sin is the reason for any injustice, any inequity, any disease or tragedy or hardship. Sin is the root cause of all of it and it permeates everything in our world. As children of God, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the scriptures give us these stories of people in and not of, and these are not perfect people. Their circumstances are not perfect. Their circumstances are full of suffering, but some of them, as James says, are full of suffering and patience. They, the example they set is not just of getting through something, but of being patient and enduring over the long haul. I mean, most of us are willing to 
sign up if we have to sign up for one. Most of us would be willing to sign up for short-term suffering, but not long-term. And I think we know in our heads that suffering and patience should go together, but no one wants them to. James says we count those as blessed who endured, or some of your translations say persevered. This is really important what he's saying here. The word that's translated into endurance or perseverance in the New Testament has a particular meaning. It means to be able to bear the load and endure as God enables you to do it. In other words, you're only going to be able to carry your suffering. You're only going to be able to endure and persevere as you allow God to carry you through it. No matter the hardship, no matter the tragedy, no matter the pain, God will enable you to do it. And then James says you are blessed if you endure. You mean I'm supposed to be happy about this? No, blessed doesn't mean happy in this sense. Rather, blessed meaning that you experience the long-term benefits that extend from knowing God. Long-term endurance under the weight of suffering leads to long-term blessing. This begins to answer one of the other big questions that even Christians find themselves asking. What's the reason for suffering and hardship? And this is one that I don't want to oversimplify because I know that this question typically comes from a place of pain or loss or even tragedy. And this passage written down by the formerly unbelieving brother of Jesus says that we will learn more about the goodness and character and nature of God in circumstances involving suffering than you would in circumstances involving ease. You learn things on the difficult days that you don't learn on the easy days. But there's a catch. The catch is if you endure, if you persevere, if you allow God to hold you up in those moments. And I'll tell you what's been on my heart and on my mind as prepared this today. I've been thinking about so many, maybe even some of you in the room or watching online, who've been tripped up by a moment of suffering. Maybe you're tripped up in your understanding of God. Many people give up in following God or trying to believe in God or in following Jesus because of something awful tragedy, a hardship that they've experienced. And there may be someone listening to this talk. You've actually rebelled against God today. You're just kind of, you're enduring this moment right now. You have rebelled against God. You have thumbed your nose at him. You don't want anything to do with him anymore. That's how you've come into this. It may be from something you've seen. I've talked to so many people who they see things in the world like systemic poverty and hunger and systems that continually abuse and, and oppress people and it's caused you to turn your back on God and just throw in the towel on the whole thing and maybe you are here today or listening, watching this later on and you put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, you know that you have a home in heaven but you've decided I'm not gonna run this race anymore. You've decided to sit on the sidelines because you don't understand how a loving God would allow such things. I just want to say to you, if that's you, I hear you. I hear you. I've looked it in the eye. I've held it by the hand. I've been broken down in moments myself. And I'm not perfect at all but I'm still running the race and I've endured and I have found 
the mercy and grace and power of God to be greater. James says, let me remind you of a story. And I love that he uses this turn on a phrase that was already in existence, the patience of Job, the endurance of of Job. And James says, remember, this story is there for us to look at so that we can see God's compassion and his mercy. Now you could read all 42 chapters. We don't quite have time for that today. So let me just give it to you real quickly for those of you that don't know or just to remind you. The story says that Job honors God. Job is an awesome man. He's an upstanding man in his community. He did everything right. People loved him. And on top of all that, he was very wealthy. He had everything a man could want. One of the greatest men in the world, the scripture says, while he was alive. What a thing to be said about you. He would allow his kids to throw big parties. The big Super Bowl party would have been at Job's house. And his kids would have been throwing it and he would have happily paid for the whole thing. What a guy, what a dad. He would get up early in the morning and pray for his family. He would go above and beyond, truly an amazing man in every way. And then the story takes an odd little turn. It gives us this picture of heaven and of the throne room of God and angels going back and forth before the father. And on this particular day, a fallen angel, formerly known as Lucifer, we know him as Satan or the devil, stands before God and God says, where you been? And he says, here and there. He's so arrogant, he's not gonna say. Where you been? I've just, I've been around, it's none of your business. God says, have you seen Job? He's my guy. And Satan says, of course he is. He's got everything. You protect and bless everything he does. And then Satan would say, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. God, you make him suffer and he will not follow you. He will curse you to your face. God says, very well, everything he has is in your hands, but you must not lay a hand on the man himself. You can't touch his health. That's all Satan needed to hear. And he went out from the presence of God. Now this story has everything in it when it comes to suffering, if we were to unpack it really and truly. But the first thing I want you to see is that what's about to happen to Job, God does not do to him, but God knows about it. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes is just the very fact that God knows. But he allows Satan to go after him and in what would seem like just a few moments, it reads very quickly through Job chapter one and two. Job receives word from multiple people and all these bizarre cataclysmic events happen and all of his livestock, all of his wealth and almost all of his, of his servants have been completely destroyed. He loses everything in a short amount of time. Worst of all, His kids were having one of those parties that they were known for and a windstorm strikes the house and it collapses. It kills all of his children and many of their friends. Then the scriptures say that Job shaves his head and he tears his robe as a way of showing how grief stricken he is beyond what most of us could ever imagine. And in that moment Job decides that he's going to worship God and he declares this naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord that's Job he's lost everything his wealth everything that's precious to him And he's still worshiping. And so Satan comes back into the throne room of God and says, of course, he's still worshiping you. He still has his health. 
God says, do what you're gonna do, but don't take his life. Satan gives him boils from head to toe. He can't sit or stand. There's nothing he can do to get comfortable. Job's wife comes to him and says, come on, let's just get it over with. Why don't you just curse God and die? Probably as her own way of wanting to be able to move on from this circumstance as well. And people love to point out so many negative things about this lady, but you gotta understand, she's just lost everything too. She's just lost all her wealth, all her security. She's just lost all of her children and many of their friends. How would you respond? Better yet, how did you respond? When the diagnosis came or when you lost the job or when you were betrayed or when the market crashed or when someone broke your heart and pushed you to the side, Job looks at her and says, listen, it would be foolish to curse God and die. He says this, should we accept from God only good and not adversity? Job doesn't sin. He doesn't give up and he doesn't give in. Now, the majority of the rest of the book is a man on an emotional roller coaster. I mean, it's full of self-loathing, self-blame. It's full of bad commentary and bad advice from friends. But Job just keeps going. And one of the things that unfolds in the book that many people don't realize is other friends completely leave him. Other extended family completely leave him. This community where he was esteemed, that he was honored, community leaders, people throughout the community are just coming to him over and over again and saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just get it over with? And in the middle of this, Job demonstrates a confidence to keep going. What keeps Job going. This guy who suffered more than really almost anyone else who's ever walked the earth has suffered. What keeps him going? What can keep us going? Right in the middle, Job says this, as for me, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the message. Still, I know that God lives the one who gives me back my life and eventually he'll take his stand on the earth and I'll see him even though I get skinned alive. I will see God myself with my very own eyes. Oh, how I long for that day. It reminds me of the psalmist who says, I can promise you, Psalm 27, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and so I will wait, I will have courage, I will have strength I don't know what he's up to, but even when I can't see it, he, I believe that he is working. I will see the goodness of God. Job did not even understand the why of any of his circumstance. How could he? And you may not understand the why around your circumstance today. How could they have done this to me? How could they have fired me? How could they have pushed me aside? How could cancer have come? Why would cancer have come? Why would disease come? Why the car accident? Why the loss? Why the tragedy? Why the suffering? There's nothing wrong with the why questions or feeling hurt and pouring out your heart before God. But Job never got his answer and you may not either. But what Job did do is he kept his focus on who he was running to. And in the middle of tragedy and loss and suffering, Job knew this, the race is not over. As long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as my heart is beating, the race is not 
over. And so at the end of the book, before Job would even know the story, before he's given everything back, before he's given back double of everything that he lost, and he says this, I know that you can do all things, God, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job says, suffering may be great, but God is greater. No tragedy or loss or hardship can detour him or take him off course. And if you want that to be more than a plaque in your life, more than just a plaque on the wall, then you endure. You ask him to hold you up. You throw yourself on his mercy, on his grace, on his kindness, on his comfort and his power and a knowledge that he is good and that he is faithful. The psalmist said the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Suffering lasts for a little while, but his love endures forever. No matter what you are going through, you can expect that God is up to good things. Now, I think, I think we all know what I'm about to say, but it applies to this. There are some things you only get by experience. I don't like manuals and putting together things. My family doesn't enjoy it when I try to put things together. It just doesn't go well. I don't read things and then make it work flawlessly. Things end up crooked, it's, it's, not, it's not pretty. I learn by experience. Is anybody else like this? I learn by putting my hands on something. You can memorize things, you can study to get the answers right on a test, but there are some things that you can only learn by experience. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter three. He says that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That word know, that I may know him, really can mean experience. It can mean if, if you're going to experience the power of Jesus, that, that power that's at work within you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, then you are going to have to go through some things. And the key to God giving you the strength to endure suffering in your life will be found when you decide whether or not knowing Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough? Listen to everyone who's given up. To all those who have stopped running the race at some point, I want you to know something. That person who tried to help you move along with just like a a Bible verse or something they'd heard in church or something they had seen on a wall somewhere, they, they meant well. But that was not how God meant for you to get through whatever it is you're going through. You see, God is there with you, never leaving or forsaking you. He He wants to run with you so that you will know Him by more than even His own words on the page. And there are some things that we only know by experience. And it's only when you endure that you experience the power of God in your life. And so I'm telling you, if you got out of the race for a little while, if you decided to sit on the sidelines with the spirit of God, hopefully speaking through me this morning, can I just say something? I'm calling you back in. I'm calling you back in. It's time to run again. 
Paul says, listen, all the things in my life really don't matter. I I count them as lost for the sake of experiencing God in my life. But for the sake of knowing his power in my life, I have to join in the very next phrase, the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. This phrase just keeps rolling through my head over and over again. Particularly as Brian alluded to earlier, as I watched my father-in-law who was diagnosed with terminal cancer back in early November According to doctors, doesn't have very much time left on this earth, but we know God is greater. But I'm watching this man who just seemed invincible. Just has done so many great things for the Lord. He is an esteemed man in his day. I'm watching as the effects of chemo and trial drugs hurt his body, even as there's an attempt at rescue. But I'll tell you what I'm watching. I'm watching faithfulness in action. I'm watching someone who is in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. What did Jesus suffer? I mean, he was misunderstood and ridiculed by his family, people of his hometown. He was, had people twist his words. Maybe you can relate to that. Used his own words against him, doubted his intentions, criticized him. And this is just, this is the mild stuff. The scriptures say that he was hated and despised. Somewhere between the age of 12 and the age of 30, his earthly father, Joseph, just disappears off the scene. And most people believe that Jesus lost his early father way too soon. He was well acquainted with tragedy and loss and grief up close. Something else that the fellowship of his sufferings can mean is that you care about the things that he cares about. Specifically, you would get upset about the things that Jesus would get upset about. He gets upset about things like disunity and hypocrisy and the disrespect of worship and the church, the mistreatment of others, especially those in society who may have been marginalized or they've been shunned or cast out. When you care about the things that he cares about, you enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. But let's be honest. When you think about the sufferings of Jesus, what do you think about? You think about the cross. You think about the mocking he received on that day and the beating that he received and the crown of thorns and being forced to carry his own cross and the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. Why would he go through all that? Why would God spare not his only son? Why would God allow his only begotten son to suffer because sin had entered into the world and it was spreading and it had caused separation from God and it had caused suffering and pain and loss and all that goes with it but because of Jesus' death on the cross. Death and suffering do not get the final word. He doesn't abandon or forsaken us on this world. Rather, he enters into it. And I've got good news for you today. Because the suffering of Jesus had a purpose, then your suffering has a purpose. 
But the story doesn't end in defeat. The story doesn't end in death. Come on, child of God. I said the story does not end in defeat. It doesn't end in death. They took him down off the cross. They put him in the grave. And this is where so many people bail out in your own story. And if you bail out on Saturday, if you say, that's it, I'm out, I'm done, then you miss the best part. Because on Sunday morning, the ground began to shake, a stone was rolled away, and the suffering servant, the only son of God, was resurrected, and he conquered sin and death, and he declares victory. And because his story ends in victory, your story can end in victory. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And if that means the fellowship of his suffering, I will endure it that I might obtain victory, that I might break the tape. And then he keeps going. He says, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what you're enduring, can I tell you something? Keep running. Keep running. Some of you are going to go through things that you've never gone through before. You're going to have to endure things that you've never endured before that you didn't think you could handle. But keep running. And if at some point in your life you have quit, then I am asking you by the Spirit of God today to get back in the race. You say, how can I do that? Well, Paul just gave us three things quickly. He says, forget what lies behind. This is for the runners and the people who are coming back in. Forget what lies behind. Forget the failure. Forget the quitting. Forget the shame. Forget the guilt. If you need to confess sin, if you need repentance, then come on and do that. But then just keep going. Throw off everything that has been tangling you up and holding you back. Move beyond what you've suffered before. I know it's going to be difficult, but move beyond it. It was put there for the purpose of knowing him and his purposes are not going to be thwarted. If you will get back in the race, you will know him like you've never known him before. And then he says, reach forward, reach forward. This is where I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. This is where I decide to picture him standing at the finish line, waiting for me to join him. This is me deciding to love God and others the way he showed us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is me deciding that I will set myself apart for his work in the world, for his purposes, for his and to worship him and to be all in with prayer and the word and the spirit of God and the church. It means I'm going to stretch toward him with my life. I'm going to go with everything I've got like the runner who gets to the final steps, leaning forward, trying to win, trying to break the tape. And then the apostle Paul says, press on, press on, pursue this God like you're trying to to catch him. Listen, the race is not over until it's over. So I will serve him. I will love him. I will worship him until the very last second when all I can see is him and I finally lean forward and I finally break 
the tape and I'm standing in front of Jesus in victory. And it's just us in that moment. It's just he and I. And I picture that moment after I've broken the tape of my life. I want you to picture that yourself, your moment. You finally get to the end of the race. You endured. You got back in the race. You didn't give up. You broke the tape. And it's just the two of you because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So he's, he's there. It's me and Jesus face to face. And he's smiling and he's clapping. And with every clap of his hands, I get just a glimpse of nail piercings. And then behind him, there's this crescendo of applause that comes from that great cloud of witnesses who've been cheering us on the entire time, who went before us, your grandparents, your parents, your aunt, your uncle, your sibling, your best friend. And in that crowd, hopefully, there are people cheering that your life and your race had something to do with them being there in that moment. It's overwhelming. And the Savior grabs you by the shoulders and he looks you in the eyes. And in that moment, all the doubt and guilt hardship and shame and suffering and loss and the questions are gone. Not even death is a worry anymore. What do you say? I've been thinking about this moment. The only thing that I can think to say to drop to my knees and say thank you. It doesn't feel adequate. But thank you. And thanks be to God, Paul says, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his victory, your life will end in victory. If you endure, you will break the tape. And I can't help but think if I'm going to be grateful then and grateful then and praise him now, praise him then, that I should praise him now. <laughs> I should be grateful in the midst of what I'm going through now. That I should worship him in the midst of what I'm going through in these days. And it's with that thought that I asked Jason if he would close this message with a song, one you probably haven't heard. We're just gonna put the words on the screen. I want you just to focus on those words and 
least initially, just remain seated. If at some point you feel like standing, then you can stand and lift your hands. Maybe it's your way of saying thank you. Maybe it's your way of saying, I'm gonna keep running, whatever it is. But if we're gonna praise him then, if we're gonna thank him then, then we can do it now. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's message. If you want to dig deeper into what you just heard, consider checking out our Next Steps podcast. Every Monday, we'll have a practical conversation surrounding Sunday's message and talk through how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or you're a longtime follower of Christ, there's a next step to take in your own story. Just search for Westridge Church Next Steps Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit westridge.com backslash podcast.